0: Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda Palmer, where our mission is providing strength to the weakest among us, from both kids in foster care and their biological families. We also talk about topics that affect all children and families. It is our hope that we can inspire you to become the best bio, step, foster, adoptive, or whatever kind of mom or dad that you can be. Part of our mission is inspiring others to become amazing foster families as well, if that is your calling. If it's not your calling, great. Find a thing that sets your soul on fire and go be awesome at that. Let's make our communities great together. Be sure to go by Jason and Palmer and check out the blog post and other podcast episodes. You can search Jason and Amanda Palmer on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you get your podcast. If we don't show up, be sure to send me an email and let me know and I will try to get it on there. We'd love to have you leave us some feedback in the form of a rating and review. It really helps the show gain attention.
1: Back, back back, back again
0: I've got that on recording now, just so you know I'm sorry Okay, I'm going <laughs> to turn up our levels just a little bit in here I'm to turn them Okay <clears throat> Talk We're going to gonna me. have company It's entirely possible The door's not closed
1: It just sounded like someone opened the living room door
0: Ah Okay So that's going to run I'll no hit go live. Are you ready? Sure. Welcome ready back. going to be to foster care—an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Going live. Going live, baby. All right. <clears throat> and we're live. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda, and we are doing a quick live this evening. One of the things we've been talking about a lot lately, it showed itself in all kinds of places, um, the podcast that came out this week with Caroline Bailey, and last week before that was um, Auburn Dudley, and both of them talked a whole lot about trauma, and That's what we're here to talk about today, because I know that our parents raised us a certain way. My parents were old school, old school, like I met a switch, not saying I didn't deserve it, but I met it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You may have deserved it. I've heard a story or two.
0: It's possible. But, but the thing is, is that for kids who've been in real trauma, that can be damaging in a lot of ways that we don't understand and that our parents didn't understand that the other generations didn't understand because I don't think really we've understood a whole lot about trauma until now
1: No, I, I don't think that people really wanted to acknowledge trauma because when you acknowledge trauma there's a reason that trauma is there something happened to cause that trauma and trauma is associated with negativity
0: yeah, and whether it's your guilt for not for, for causing trauma to your kid or guilt for not being able to keep the trauma happening, I think that's um, I think that's a real thing. We we don't like to acknowledge that it's there, but it is. And we know that for a fact because recent science has shown it to us. You know, yeah, we've I've... seen on MRIs, the brain is shaped different. There is a biophysiological proof we can look at the brain and know that that shape that was in there before after trauma is different in significant ways. And in similar ways between different people who've experienced trauma, it's, it's actual proof that our life changes our brain.
1: Yeah. And trauma after trauma after trauma, you know, you're doing more brain damage. And it, it affects every aspect of a life, a child's life, an adult's life, how they respond, how they act, and we're just now really starting to acknowledge the fact that trauma is a real issue, and children or are, are getting diagnosed at a, a alarming rate with PST or yeah, PTSD um, and other things. You know, and we used to not diagnose children with that. You know, oh, children are children. They're happy. They're go lucky. They're resilient. They just get up. They go. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't affect them. Well, that's not true.
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of times kids are resilient and kids are able to hide the trauma in ways that we don't understand. Not not like it's an intentional hide either.
1: I think you're right. It's, It's not a... It's more of the fact that they might not even remember the trauma. Yeah. But the brain remembers the trauma, remembers certain feelings and sensations that associate with different feelings. Like an infant who maybe was not fed properly, when that infant and child and toddler is hungry, when those feelings of hunger come about, that triggers that trauma. the brain remembers that they might not realize that i'm feeling so amped and out of sorts because i'm hungry but the brain remembers it
0: yeah yeah i think you're right and and a lot of what i've been looking at is uh information here on youtube and other places by a gal by the name of karen purvis karen is k-a-r-y-n-p-u-r-v-i-s karen purvis if you look her up she was um well, if you just put her name in, she'll come up uh, a lot of stuff with TCU. Um, I forget the exact what that stands for. It's a university, but uh, she talked a lot about trauma and kids. She did a lot of work with kids and I would tell you what all her accolades were. She was licensed, this, that and the other thing. She had a lot of letters behind her name. <laughs> but she worked with kids a lot and she had a lot of experiential data along with scientific data behind it. And she taught TVRI, which is trust-based relational interventions. Which I think is a great thing when I, when I look at it, when I, when I watch it, when I, I try to learn it and I can actually exercise it with, for myself, like I see where it works, and it doesn't make sense to me because to a lot of people, TBRI looks like looks like no consequences to a kid. It looks like you're, you're getting letting a kid off scot-free for bad behavior.
1: I I could see how it would look that way from the outside. Yeah, I, and a lot of people like to judge. They want to judge us parents on how we parent our children. Oh, well, everybody you know, likes to judge. If that was my kid, I I'd just I'd whoop their butt. You know,
0: you know, and I remember I remember when our older kids were younger. I remember <laughs> doing it. this. We did I, it. I specifically we were in the store and the kid's just having a meltdown. He's having a hyper wobble moment. And I looked at both of my boys, who at the time were probably three and five in that age range somewhere, and said loud enough probably for the mom to hear because I was not you know, probably trying so. to we, be...
1: We were not very tactful.
0: Yeah, I wasn't trying to be tactful. And I looked at my boys and I said, what would happen if you behaved that way? And they said, well, you get a butt welcome. And I said, you're right. Don't forget it.
1: Yeah.
0: And what I wasn't doing was realizing that, I'm, for all I know, that was a mom who had an autistic kid who's having a real off day, he way off on the autism spectrum somewhere in a difficult place and this kid's having a meltdown that he can't control. And here I am, the jack wagon walking by making ignorant comments in front of mom talking to my kids about just that teaching them how to judge somebody in the middle of that.
1: Yeah, and, I mean we we don't know that situation and we'll never know that situation. But we've come a long way since there. <laughs> we've learned a lot. Our children have taught us a lot. We've, we've met know. a lot
0: of kids with a lot of trauma. And that's, that's been the way we had to learn.
1: Yeah, but I would also say that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if that child had autism or if that child was just having a bad day or if there was absolutely nothing wrong. It's really not our place to judge. How that parent parents her child. She knows what works for her child. And
0: well, and I don't know, I, I don't even know that that's the case because I meet lots of parents who don't know what works for their kid, who are just parenting based on what's easiest or what they saw in their own life, and they're just repeating maybe the same mistakes, Maybe they're repeating things that are that are great. Choices. Maybe they're going
1: through trial and error too, trying to find out what works best for them.
0: Yeah, maybe she didn't know everything. But it's like not I my
1: place to tell her what works best for her child, <laughs> and it's not my place to point out to my children somebody else's flaws like that. I think the important it's, part—it's our job to teach our children.
0: Well, the important part that we've been learning over the last few years, because as foster parents. Because man, we've seen so much. We have we have learned these kids have handed us so much knowledge and wisdom that we did not have in the past. Oh yeah. That we've learned they put that, me in my place quite a few times, that's for sure. We've learned that, that you know, most all of us come to this world with some sort of trauma. Absolutely. And if you look to uh, look to in the Karen Purvis T stuff, and she talks about some of the traumas that actually can come out as trauma late trauma behaviors later on in life. Learning to recognize that, that some of the things you see are not conscious decisions it's a trauma-based behavior where your brain is remembering the stress or trauma that it had at a younger age. And you might not remember it, but when that happens, rather than take the time to respond to a situation, your amygdala... Yeah, my kids are being noisy. <laughs> I'm going to go have a trauma-based moment here in a minute. Oh, wow. <laughs> but but when, when you hit those moments, you're your amygdala fires, that part of your brain fires, it throws you into fight or flight, and you're not terribly in control unless you've done something to learn how to turn that reaction into a response.
1: No, that's where our stress comes into play. That's our anxiety. That's our rapid breathing, shaking, just complete out-of-control feelings.
0: That's where panic attacks come from. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. And what I've learned is when I have a kid who wants to, wants to challenge me wants to have that fight and as a young parent I was always willing to have the fight I'd have people tell me oh you gotta pick your battles you gotta pick your battles and I thought no you're just a <laughs> wuss you're not willing to fight them all I'm willing to fight them all and I was and I did good God did I I fought every fight and I won them like a champ until they got to be teenagers and I realized that I wasn't winning the battle I could win daily fights, but I couldn't win the battle because what I was doing was I was proving I was right.
1: You weren't winning the heart.
0: I was winning the argument, not the heart. And that was one of those moments when somebody asked me that question where I was like, oh, wah, wah, wah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I knew what I was doing. I was busy winning the arguments and losing the heart. And my older my oldest son specifically he and i went through sometimes in his teen years where we were really you guys divided but
1: it quite a bit
0: yeah it was <laughs> it was like we just walked in the house and we were like two rams out in the mountainside you know who would see each other and just run head first into each other just because we were there it was it was ridiculous and it took me a long time to realize that yeah he was wrong in some of his behaviors so was this guy and this guy is the guy who was teaching him how to behave, so you know I probably deserve somewhere between seventy and ninety percent of the blame for that because I taught him how to do it. And it wasn't until a few years later that I've I've learned that there's ways to handle that differently.
1: There's you know? there's a lot of different techniques that are out there that you can use.
0: Yeah, and that's the the question I put over there in the chat. I don't know if anybody can see it if if once you watch this when it's not live, but You know, how can a parent with old trauma meet the needs of a kid who has their own trauma?
1: I'll say, hi, I'm parents. (laughs) A lot of old trauma.
0: You know, and, and most of us come to it with some old trauma.
1: Well, the thing is, is children who come into care come into care for a reason. And that reason involves trauma. And with that being said, those are not the only kids that experience trauma. Yeah. Our children on a day-to-day, our bio kids, they face trauma that, you know, we traumatize our children. A lot of times we don't mean to. I'd say it most happens. of the time we don't mean to. You know, experiences in the world traumatize our children. The death of a loved one, a sibling, you know, all those things are, are trauma. They They change and they shape who we are. And especially when you're a child that grows up with trauma and then you're, you're the parent and you haven't dealt with your own trauma and you're trying to help your children through trauma, it can be very explosive. It can feel very explosive and out of control at times. It gets close to the blind leading the blind sometimes
0: just because if you haven't walked the, the finished walking your own journey, it's hard to tell them where to go.
1: It is. I mean, I I could throw myself on the floor and throw a tantrum with the best of them. But is that appropriate for me to do?
0: Right. and (laughs) Probably
1: not. But sometimes it feels like that's what I want to do.
0: And one of the things that I've learned is there's several ways of that whole self-regulation thing. And that's what we want to teach our kids is self-regulation. Because what you're seeing in those moments of trauma is you're seeing dysregulation. Right now, I have a dysregulated child on the other side of that door, and I don't know how much of him is coming across the microphone. Hopefully, it's not too much to be distracting, but it seems really loud in here.
1: But self-regulation looks different for everybody. Not... The thing that helps me the most may not help my child the most. So, there's a lot of different techniques out there and things that you can do and use. Um... Like meditation. I'll let you talk about meditation for a moment because you're good at meditation. I'm going to go try (laughs) to regulate our children real quick. (laughs)
0: Regulators! Mount up. up. (laughs) No, one of the things I learned was a solid morning routine. And if you're familiar with Hal Elrod, if you're not, look him up. He's got a book called The Miracle Morning. And he talks about a morning routine and the importance of a morning routine. And he has something pretty specifically laid out in the book that that involves different parts of a, different parts of a morning routine that allow you to be able to set up the pieces of your day to be successful. And one of the, I, you know, I'm not going to give you the whole Elrod book here, but um, the first step in that is um, is a silence practice, and for you that might be meditation for you it might be a prayer time it might be you know there's a lot of different things that can be and when i first started doing it i used um i think it was called it's it's the calm app c-a-l-m calm and it, it just has guided meditations on there it's free if i remember right i'm certain i didn't pay anything for it um but it will give you a lot of opportunity to kind of learn the basics of meditation and what i found for me is that morning meditation is best if it's just a quiet peaceful counting based meditation for lack of a better word i just focus on my breathing and just count and my you know count up the up to whatever number i picked that morning and focus on each number and then i turn around and come back down and as i go down that's where my meditation really seems to allow me to have to stay in the present moment because somewhere between about 200 and 190, I start to lose track of where I was. And so you have to pay attention as I go down. What that does is it brings my mind back into that exact moment and it disallows me to stay focused on all the other things that run out of my brain. And what I'm doing is slowly teaching my brain how to step outside of that dysregulated moment and live right here in the present. So that when I start to feel that dysregulation later on in the day, when I have to go step into the boss's office and have a tough conversation about something, when somebody gets ignorant at work, cuts me off in traffic, tries to run me off, whatever it is, I'm slowly building that muscle of learning how to come back to a calm space and take the time to respond to a situation instead of just reacting. Because I'll be honest, I know you've got to be able to hear this kid screaming in the background.
1: (laughs) I got a good kiss out of the deal, Five. so.
0: <laughs> Five years ago, I would have ended the stream so I could walk out there, and he and I would have had a very serious conversation. He'd have probably ended up with a spot on the butt and sent to bed.
1: But However, really, he's, he's out there playing. He's running his cars around the dining room floor. He's he's really being good, but he's just a little loud.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, is that he's not listening, and that would have really triggered my my dysregulation and it would have been taken a a whole lot for me to get to the point where i felt like i could sit here and just talk through it and now i i've done the work to where that doesn't make me insane my anger doesn't jump up because that's the one thing you know i don't know about i don't know if it's the same thing for women as it is for men but almost every man that i meet one of the things we all struggle with is the ability to get angry like that I can be angry and ready to to you know kill somebody in a heartbeat because it's just how I'm wired. My anger can go to rage really fast, and I had to learn how to control that. And that was part of it was learning to take those those morning routines where I would send, spend some time in meditation. Practice writing
1: was a really good thing for you too. Yeah, like writing really really helped calm you some.
0: Oh yeah, I mean here, scoot back for just a little bit. Let's see if I can dig it out here. I've got I mean, it looks like a Bible, but it's really like I mean, you know, read all my personal private thoughts, they're all in there like pages and pages and pages and (laughs) pages of it. (laughs) (laughs) But that that's another piece of it for me as well is writing. Learn to find a creative outlet for me to to understand what's going on. Not not even to understand what but to understand how to take my head when it runs a muck when it starts to get spun up or triggered is the current fancy word, when I start to hit that headspace, I've done the hard work ahead of time to where I know how to calm my brain back down. And any one of those things can, can do that for you. You know, um, Amy Cuddy, here on YouTube, look her up. She has a <laughs> TED Talk. Um, I can't remember the name of her TED Talk, but she talks a lot about power posing. And
1: Oh yeah. So, like your power stance? Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Power
0: posing, yeah. Okay. And it's real simple stuff. And it's it's a fact that when somebody wins a baseball game, when they win a football game, or a European football game, <laughs> when this everybody knows that arms raised in a V shape is a shape of victory. It's happiness. It's I win. I you we know, I won. It's this is a good feeling. And when you take some of those things that are just natural poses that that make us feel good when you put your body in that position you can actually change the way that your brain is working in that moment
1: yeah you can release endorphins
0: yeah there's science behind it it blows my mind That's that it's kind of the fake it till you make it idea but not not really that it's about just put yourself in a situation that that gets you ready to address the moment and um If you guys don't know who Chris Voss is, he's another great guy to follow. Chris Voss is the FBI's former lead interrogator. No, 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 no. Investigator for the (laughs) international hostage negotiation team. Something like that. When people kidnapped Americans overseas, his phone was the one that rang. And if you listen to him talk about it, there's... Science that shows us that you are up to thirty-something percent smarter just by putting a smile on your face. And they had some interesting studies they did, where they t- had participants sit there with a straight face, or the other ones they gave them an ink pen or a pencil or something, made them hold it in their mouth, so that they're they're forced to sit like that, and they could actually see the difference based on just a forced smile. What it makes in your ability. To, uh, to reach your cognitive powers You're smarter when you smile huh. You're smarter when you control those re- Because, and we all know it I mean, come on, we all know it When somebody makes you angry And you res- just react We rarely react in a smart way
1: Oh, we usually do something dumb Whether we say something dumb We do something dumb
0: I mean, knee-jerk reaction Almost never implies That I did something kind for somebody
1: Absolutely. You know, I I'm at my worst when I am not regulating. You know, I I'm not I'm not doing myself or those around me anything good at that point. You know, my head is all over the place. My thoughts are erratic. They're just all over the place. And that's why I found breathing is a good thing for me because when I get really triggered or amped I call it amped because I feel like like I'm on speed almost you know I feel so up and then my breathing you know I start breathing shallow and before I know it I'm having a panic attack and that was not something that I had ever experienced until the past few years you know after losing our daughter and it was like once I had that first panic attack once I really was unregulated. It just kept happening over and over and over. You know, it was like, I almost felt like there was no end in sight. They would just come one after another. And I'm finally to a place where after some techniques of meditation, breathing, writing, walking away when I need to for a moment, you know, taking that time to give my head a moment, you know, not reacting with the first thing that pops into it. But just slowing down for a moment makes all the difference. And it's really, really hard to do that when someone's pushing your buttons. Yeah. When you've got your kiddo that has been on you all day long. And maybe it's not just one kiddo, but it's all five of them. You know, and you can't get a breath. Sometimes you just want to go hide. You know, you put up that post the other day, (laughs) you know, about drinking your coffee under the table. Yeah, there's a lot of times that we as parents want to hide. And sometimes you need to take the moment to hide. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I would rather hide 20 times a day than cause my child more damage. Well, you call it hide.
0: (laughs) What I'm going to say is it's really what I think it is, is being strategic and realizing that you're not in the brain space to make smart decisions that are gonna be helpful and nourishing for your children. And so you choose to remove yourself until you can regulate your own brain, get back into a positive headspace, and then you come back into the situation. That's the healthiest way I know to handle it.
1: You I would know? say that's the healthiest way. And also Admitting when you've failed. Admitting when you've you know you've lost your cool. You know, coming back to that person and being like, hey You know, I was not at my best, and I took my worst out on you, and I'm sorry, you know, because words hurt. Words will cut you to the core, and your children, they remember those words. You may forget those words because once you say them and you're angry, they're just out there and they're gone, but the person that you've given that anger to, they remember that. They'll remember it for years.
0: As a parent, one of the things we do unconsciously is we're constantly writing that voice that our children will hear in the back of their head for the rest of their life. That voice that says, you are not whatever enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. We, I, we had, um, my son had a, a girlfriend... And her and her mom came over to our house one day, and we we're staying outside. And we were just, I think the kids were having a, a, a oh little goodness fire. See, and a we, ha- we
1: hadn't even planned on talking about this, and I, I immediately know yep. exactly what you're talking about and where you're going.
0: And, and the mom looks at the daughter, and this girl was a twig. Oh, yeah, she was. She was a twig. I, and, and, I mean, not necessarily a bad way, but she was a thin girl. And her mom looks at her. And skinny. And... With some level of contempt in her voice, looks at her and calls her "thunder thighs." She did it in front of her daughter's boyfriend, and then his parents. That's you know us, and she calls this girl a name to in demean front of all her
1: peers. And, and from it school. wasn't
0: even in a. It,
1: it just, wasn't joking.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a joking man. It wasn't like you know, I might tell my son he's goofy in public, but you know. It's a joke. It's, and, she and we're laughing. Disgust and we're,
1: in her voice.
0: Yeah, she, that's exactly it. She had disgust. She hadn't, maybe not malice, but contempt. Like there was something there. And I don't think she had a clue.
1: But the look of defeat on her daughter's face was instantaneous. Yeah. You know, and everybody that was there seen that. And so not only did her mom make her feel bad. She feels bad around all of her friends, around a boy that she's trying to impress because she's trying to date. You know, she took this young woman who was in a situation where she was already a little bit uncomfortable and just called her out and made her feel terrible. And this was just one instance where this mother did this in front of us this happened happened multiple multiple times throughout the time that we knew this particular family and i'm i'm certain that i can probably say that if we ran into them today it's probably still happening
0: yeah yeah i'm 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 sure because that was just her attempt at saying, and I don't know why she felt the need to say that to her daughter but we watched her cause trauma that will come up later and most likely it had something to do with the fact that the mom was feeling something at the moment and she was just handing it off to her daughter but here's the thing is you as a parent, me as a parent her as a parent we get to write the inner dialogue the inner monologue I guess it is in our own head Unless you're like me, and then you might have a dialogue going on in there, a different story. <laughs> but we're writing that, that story in their head. What do you want that story to say? How many times do you have to say you're smart, you're pretty, you're good, you are enough to overcome the times that you have said you're not? Whether you said it verbally or non-verbally, implied it, whether they thought that's what you were saying. Like, there's a piece there that, that digs deep and hurts a kid. And I don't think we try to do it even when we do it. You know, I remember when our older sons were a little bit younger. And one day, my son looked at me and said, Dad, nothing I ever do is good enough for you. And it was a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks later, before I really processed through that and realized that, yeah, okay, maybe I'm, maybe he's not hearing what I'm saying. Yeah. And I wasn't smart enough at the time to listen to it right away and just sit and go, whoa, hang on, let's have a conversation.
1: Well, and here's the thing. I'm a product of not enough. And I know what not enough feels like. And I'm 40 years old. We have seven children. And I still fight... What not enough was from my childhood. It still comes up to this day. I'm still fighting that. And I don't want my children to have to fight that either. And I don't want anybody else's children to have to fight that. I don't want any child to have to fight that. It's a terrible feeling. It's a horrible place to be. And so we really need to be conscious of our words. Because they follow and they haunt.
0: And I think that comes back to the skill set of learning to regulate yourself in those hard moments. You know, I think I think this is a quote from Dave Ramsey and he's talking about finances, but it's true in everything. Children do what feels good. Adults make a plan and stick by it. So maybe I will just encourage everybody out there to make a plan. To stick by that says... When my kids are acting dysregulated, When they get wild I'm going to find the time To calm myself down I'm going to be the calm one In the room Because even Even in in a category 5 hurricane Right in the middle There is a calm eye In that storm Learning to center yourself So that you can exist In that calm eye Even when the world Is going crazy around you When your kids are losing Their stuff Acting like maniacs Not that yours do only mine, <laughs> but...
1: Yeah, I, I heard that they're only crazy for only you. Only me. Not mom.
0: But in that moment, dedicating yourself to learning how to be the calm in the storm. To take the time to learn a breathing practice. If you, if you want a super simple one, look up box breathing. Something the Navy SEALs do. It's ridiculously simple. And anybody can do it. You can use it in any moment in time. And the simple truth is is that as you do this you can check your heart rate and your blood pressure you will watch it drop you have the ability to do that i have gone in for my my regular doctor testing stuff and um, sat down and my blood pressure was a little bit high look like, said, so give me five minutes yeah and i just sat there and i took some intentional time to do some box breathing super simple if you can count to five breathe in and breathe out those are the only skill sets necessary for it. Took five minutes. He came back, and my blood pressure dropped like 15 or 20 points. Yeah.
1: You were back into regular range. And
0: and here's the thing. We
1: had a better deal on our insurance out of the deal.
0: Well, there's that. <laughs> but here's the thing is that when your kids are spun up and you start to get spun up too, that's your moment to lower your blood pressure intentionally. That's your moment to calm your head and come back to the center of your space So that you can be the calm in the room. You can walk in and you're not reacting to their trauma-based actions with your own stuff. You can walk in and sit down and say, hey, and look at a kid who's completely lost their stuff and say, hey, man, I see this. I see you. I see this behavior as a byproduct of maybe some trauma you've dealt with in the past. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's even if it's not based on just trauma. You can walk in and say, hey, I see this behavior over here. We're going to deal with that. But I also see you. And I can appreciate who you are. And we're going to walk through this together. The difference between those two can change the monologue in a kid's head for the rest of his life.
1: Oh, yeah. And kids can do the breathing, too. We've used it on many, many kids to get them to try to calm down. And to be able to self-regulate themselves. it's There's so many different practices out there. Just look it up. I mean, I've got a long list here. I'm not going to go through them because we've actually been on here a little longer than, than what we wanted to be on here. But there's all kinds of breathing techniques that you can do with your children. Blowing balloons, dandelions, you name it. You know, it, it's out there. You can do it. Um, but find what works for you, whether it's counting, whether it's grounding, meditation... Walking away, your hobby, reading, drawing, writing, whatever it is, do that. Create, don't damage. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I thought you were going to say create, don't hate.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) No.
0: It would have rhymed, though.
1: I liked what I said better, though. Oh, okay. Sorry.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to end this. And just that that's the message we want to talk about a little bit today, though, guys. It's just, man, get out there and, and realize that you Inform can control. Inform yourself about trauma. You, you, and you can control your reaction with your kids and turn into a response that if you will, will face the, the trauma of your own life, face your kids' trauma as trauma and face them as somebody you love. Man, you can change a whole lot. Get the car revving <laughs> up in the background. <laughs> that's awesome. Stream finished. Anyway, we're editing studio. I don't know what the hell that's gonna do. I don't think. It I don't know
1: either. You can turn off Audacity too whenever you're ready. Shoot. If Hang you on. ever. Thanks
0: to everyone for listening all the way through. If you're trying to find us on a specific podcasting platform, just search for Jason and Amanda Palmer or Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or anywhere where you find your podcast. You can also download it so that you can listen wherever you're at, even when you aren't online. You can find us online at jasonmpalmer.com where you can read our blog, and listen to all of our previous podcasts. If you have a story that you'd like to tell on the show, please send me an email at jasonmpalmer at yahoo.com and be sure to put podcasts in the subject line or send me a message through our Facebook page at Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. We'll see you next time.